like to <clears throat> welcome each and uh, every one of you here this evening for this week-long <clears throat> retreat that we have together. In this, the opening talk uh, with you, I'd like to speak about one or two aspects. Don't <clears throat> any water dry from around. Very kind, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> um, speak to you about one or two aspects of the of the teachings and the practices. I may say it's my forty-seventh uh, year of giving annual teachings uh, here in uh, India, <clears throat> and things have changed over those uh, years there, but it still offers tremendous uh, potential. For deep and profound explorations, being in touch with the immediacies of, uh, of life and our receptivity to both the outer and the inner can be of authentic and real deep lasting benefit to us. I wish to express appreciation to each and every one of you for making uh, the time to be here and in this case here in Saranath as well. With the annual uh, uh, retreats usually is very uh, precious and uh, lovely response but Dora received numerous cancellations um, in the last uh, few weeks. Part, oh, thank you so much. Part of the uh, reason for that <coughs> some of the fears and anxieties that people have. People, there were cancellations because of the coronavirus, there were cancellations, uh, concerns about the political uncertainties and the street demonstrations, there were anxieties about the horrendous forest fires taking place in Australia, the floods, the huge hurricanes taking place in uh, Europe, as well as the personal health factors and more. So it really is an extra appreciation uh, to each and every one of you for making the initiative from uh, within India as well as for uh, those of the Asuadi internationals. During the um, afternoon, little environmental update for the uh, India Wallers in the hall here. So those of you who have been on retreat here before in the past years and also including those of you here in the past week will uh, <coughs> know, primarily due to the, uh, the sound level of the popularity of weddings. And people who get married still like to get married in holy places and unfortunately Saranath is considered to be a holy place. So for the past few years, maybe a decade or, or more, the evening time has had the weddings. And though there are general guidelines and rules about uh, the sound level and the time that it finished, a certain anarchy prevails 
uh, around and there was a great deal of uncertainty when the wedding uh, would finish and the sound just rings through the, uh, the centre uh, here. It's uh, one of the primary tests here of one's equanimity, letting go, being at peace with the situation and all the uh, disturbance that these weddings can have. So this afternoon, uh, speaking with the uh, Lord Abbot and amongst the many topics that we touched upon, he said that the Supreme Court, no less, has issued in the past year a nationwide order that all weddings must cease at 10pm to allow the local community with the in-ear shot to get some sleep. And if a wedding disobeys this ruling of 10pm sharp, then the host of the wedding and the place which hosts the wedding will be heavily fined. So far, it's been pretty good. Been noisy, but 10 o'clock, peace prevailed. As they say here in India, Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. <laughs> You'll appreciate 10 p.m. if there are any weddings. We, in relationship to this, we go to Dr. Jane's guest house, who has lived here for lifetimes, and ask him to look up for us on the website of the Hindu astrologers recommended dates for wedding because this is peak season and we check out the dates and we try to squeeze these two weeks in in which there are a minimum number of weddings over the days so you don't have to have your equanimity tested so mercilessly and so sometimes it might be one wedding in the week if the gods are with us no wedding uh, two or three weddings it's all in the hands of uncertainty and my goodness me this country is a teaching in unpredictability it's always been like this Maybe that's why we come. <laughs> All right. <coughs> to you, <coughs> this is for the. <coughs> this is really for the um, those who know Sarnath. Two new rules have been established for the village. And this is the village where the Buddha gave his first teachings 2,600 years ago. It's a primary place for many, many uh, uh, pilgrims. And some of us with the local community and with a long-standing connection with this village. I first came here in uh, October of 1967. Some connection with the place. So, new government implemented guideline, not guideline, rule is that within the area of the village no commercial buildings are allowed to be built 
It must be maintained and sustained as a religious centre for religious temples and uh, uh, ashrams and meditations and accommodation for the pilgrims. And that's uh, another rule that's been also introduced here and el elsewhere. There will be very heavy fines on people lighting fires. And fires have been lit um, in terms of burning plastic, and we all know the pollution outpouring uh, uh, of that. And it wasn't so long ago at the back of the monastery here, with the plastic and with the waste, it was being uh, uh, burnt uh, there. The inspectors have come and issued very strong guidelines, very strong rulings uh, there to reduce the amount of uh, air pollution. Obviously, obviously, there is still a long way to go, a really long way uh, to go. But local citizens, protest groups, international communities, the pilgrims, the visitors and uh, other voices are really working to make some kind of change so that the air that we breathe and the, the, the surrounding environment is not being used for factories, for large, uh, tall buildings for residential purposes or for large hotels. And for some of us, I think it's important and it's valuable. With the being here on the uh, retreat here, Dora just spoke to you a few uh, moments ago with the general principles, in fact, of uh, being on, uh, on the retreat. And there are a few aspects uh, of this, just one or two small reminders, if I, uh, uh, if I may. So, uh, one is that it's in keeping with uh, the extra reason as well of uh, clean air, that it's, this is a no smoking zone. And my general guideline is you can have a cigarette uh, um, within outside rather of 500 kilometers from where I'm sitting so there's some flexibility <laughs> not much though and why is that it's a horrendous waste of valuable plant land for growing plants what is the point of growing plants which give people cancer it's a waste of money whether it's the beadies which have something like 60 times the nicotine content of an ordinary cigarette, 27 times the, con the tar content of a cigarette. And the terrible destruction and impact on our health services through one single habit, putting the cigarette in the mouth. The terrible suffering that it brings, not only to the person, but to the husband and the wife and the parents and the children and the best of friends because of one habit. And so sometimes people have attended the retreats and the one thing that they've realised and they have walked out of the retreat and never for the rest of their life put a cigarette back in their mouth. That itself is a fine step forward for the environment for the wise use of land, for health, and for one's friends and family. So sometimes in the taking of one step in our life and making one significant change, 
we actually might think it's personal, but actually if you look a little bit carefully, it's interconnected, if you look a little bit deeper, you'll see that the benefits are also far and wide as well. And therefore these teachings are environmental, hyphenate the word in the middle, they're concerned with the inner and they're concerned with the, the outer. I'd like just to explore with you just a, a little bit uh, the, the, this evening before going into the, the basics uh, with the, the retreat uh, itself. One of the best, I suppose we might say, best um, known um, concepts um, which has, as it were, passed through the centuries is this word Nirvana. It is used in a variety of ways. It's going to be used here from uh, time to time. And I would like, with that, to keep to the original spirit and letter with reference to this. So here we are. We are engaged in this uh, remarkable and challenging and wonderful and painful experience called being alive, being human and making a journey of from birth through to death. It's a very short field of existence and if we consider what the scientists tell us, four and a half billion, billion years ago there was, we are told, current thought, the Big Bang and all the echoes of that and even without that consideration in the evolution of life, our life, our journey on this earth is a pretty short span of time, whatever way we look at it. And in that exploration of what it is to be, what it is to be a human being, and in the journey that we make, day in and day out through the passage of our life, there's the multiplicity of that which touches us. Sight, sound, smells, taste, touch, thoughts, feelings, memories, plans. Day in and day out. And what we can find very uh, easily is that we inflame a situation. Parallel language which is used is putting wood on the fire. So there's a situation in our life, it could be with regard to another human being, it could be with regard to ourselves, with regard to the past, the present or the future. There is some reaction and that reaction is old. That reaction is the accumulation of some images, thoughts, pictures and story and it's kind of congested in the being. And that reaction lands on the issue, whatever it might be about ourselves, uh, others, life, past, present, work, relationships, job, money, spirituality, path, practice, meditation, or whatever. And when it lands on 
that which is of some concern or troubling, it, it, it inflames it. It intensifies it. It makes it strong. It adds fuel to it. Due to the fact that there are feelings in the reaction, there, the feelings, though precious and deep, when they land on something, whatever that might be about, we give that, what it lands on, extra reality. The feelings are very susceptible to landing on something or someone, oneself or other, and much, much more, landing on it, and in the landing on it, the feelings give it more reality. Whether we're very positive feelings we have, or whether we're negative. So, one of the first steps of a caring and curious human being <coughs> is to check in with ourself, which is part of this meditation process here. What do I find my mind landing on which is troubling me? That's the first step. What do I find my mind landing on which gets me reactive? gets me agitated, wanting, needing, demanding, blaming, fearing, worried, anxious about. And one of the ways that with this landing upon, we give it a great deal of reality. And the thought confirms it. The thought comes up and it arises for us. And when the thought arises, the mind and the thought will often believe very strongly that the impressions are a statement of what is real. Understand? The impressions, the old, the history, the repetition, the reactive, which is old and past, as landing on something and therefore. I've got a right to be angry. I've got a right to um, get really upset. I've got something really to feel anxious about. And we haven't realised that that is the old, which is images, moving through the being, landing on something, and that's given a great reality, and the self keeps repeating that reality, keeps confirming it. And one might ask, well, is this my life? Landing, giving something exaggerated, misplaced reality, fades away for a little while, then moving to the next thing. So if one wished to know what the true reality actually is, it's pretty simple. To stop placing it on issues and making a problem out of it. 
And when we stop landing on and inflaming and feeding and making a big deal of when we stop that, and therefore that isn't the reality, it's the world of the image, that ending of the placement of reality onto that will correspondingly reveal what authentic reality is. Knowing what the authentic reality is, it's called Nirvana. That's one of the words which is used. The, uh, in ancient Greece, I'm, I'm not a philosopher, and, uh, blah, 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 but uh, um, just to take one point. In, in ancient Greece, which has got passed down also for the past two and a half thousand years, it is said, um, know thyself. Some of us would have heard this did some Greek studies, or I didn't, but if we did, whatever. In these teachings, I would say, at the best, it's 50% of the exploration. It is nowhere enough. Not enough to know thyself. Not in this world. And... The body of the teachings in the mindfulness and in meditations and reflections and in actions, sometimes forgotten in the Buddhist tradition, states regularly and frequently that mindfulness, that means to observe and be really, really clear about, is both internal and external. The teachings have never given or maximize the importance of the self. Certainly, we certainly have the resources as a human being to, we're blessed, to see, hear, smell, taste and touch. We have the ability to see what our responses are. We have the blessed ability to change our view of things. This is really precious. To, really, to change the view. Extraordinary thing to be able to do. There. And at times, it is necessary not to be concerned with myself, but with the mindfulness, the meditations and the reflections but really to look at and observe and to be mindful of her, him, that which comes to us and to really see what the relationship is to the other, to be mindful of the other. And the other includes people, it includes creatures and it includes environment. It is part of the exploration of being human, it is total. It is not a divided one in which myself, as a human being, takes priority above all else. Because there's no liberation with it. 
there isn't the freedom of the great expense. Because the self has been inflamed at the expense of. So our inner and outer exploration equally important. Here, of course, it's primarily, of course, on the inner. But come on, it's only for a week. If it was for a year that we were here, which would be fine. It would still only be a year in the course of a life. So yes, it is precious and important and lovely to really explore the being there. But please not to explore which neglects the external. Otherwise, we're going to miss a lot. We're going to miss one heck of a lot. Some of you with regard to, uh, who are uh, uh, in the hall, there's always um, the uh, d uh, diversity. So one retreat just finished at uh, lunchtime today, R roughly around the same number, actually just a couple uh, fewer, first retreat and on the second uh, retreat. And at the end of the morning, as we will do on this retreat on the seventh morning, we had a, a circle there. And I was a little curious as to the uh, number of nationalities that were in the hall. And there were, e not quite sure, either 10 or uh, uh, 11 different uh, nationalities. It's genuinely, even in a modest sized group, it's uh, truly uh, international. And for those of us who are internationalists and have no appetite for that nationalism, which I think is limited and uh, 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 restricted and very, very unhealthy, and living with a being a, a British and the consequences of events in the past three years and it generated now a government a far right wing government and one might have thought that the people voted for this small little Englander mentality by the exit just a few weeks ago out of the EU. The fact is that 43% of the pro-Brexit parties voted to leave the EU and the remain people of the remain parties 57% voted to remain and still we're out because we haven't got democracy. 
never had it properly. And sometimes we look at this, we look at the consequences of, of these things. And it seems to me that the Dharma and, the, and their exploration of this, which is about truth, it's about justice, it's about exploration of life, it's about change and applying change. Therefore, we can explore its usefulness and its validity in terms of meditations, in terms of our life, sustainability, our relationship to the major institutions uh, in the world. We have a voice. And these kind of teachings and practices is not an insular, closed door, I, me and my. There's a bigger vision. I wrote a book, it's called The Political Buddha. The Buddha was a radical. But there was a campaigner for social change. The endless conversations and communications that he had. So when we spoke about the larger, we include the larger. Here, to repeat a little bit with you if I may, the exploration here, the meditations and the practices and the centering and the groundedness, and we need that. We deeply need this. And the reason that we deeply need this, I find, as an activist, as an environmentalist, as a campaigner, that in my contact and communications with some precious and wonderful people who are doing remarkable work, sometimes at the risk of their own lives, there's a huge amount of anxiety, fear and stress about the present and the future. It's going up in leaps and bounds everywhere. We have enough stress and difficulties and tensions in our life or in our family life and our love life and so forth. But now this is whole extra building year by year. Our fears and anxieties are of no support, of no help to anybody. The fears and anxieties is the confirmation of inflaming a situation. Whatever it is about, it's our great undertaking to find ways and means in which we can put hand on heart and say, as a human being, I'm not living in fear and anxiety. I'm not living in blame and attack. And that can give access to something deep which brings something insightful and beneficial out of us. And that's what the teachings are about. And we can be small, modest servants. The other day, on the other day, a year or two ago, I don't know what your relationship is like to rock music, but um, I'm a big fan of rock music. 
I like the buzz of it and sometimes the lyrics are genuinely uh, remarkable. So someone sent me a clip on YouTube, I'm sure you people say, you've got to watch this, you've got to see this. So this one was of um, one of my uh, great uh, heroes, that's um, Dave Bowie. Huge fan of Dave Bowie. There's a nice story uh, with, with him. In 1966, he attended uh, in Scotland uh, a retreat, a Buddhist retreat. Can you imagine how, the, how one's life can end on the change on the moment? And he went to the teacher, Tibetan tradition, Lama Jimmy. The teacher at the time. And he said, in the one to one, you know, I'll be having one to ones with you here over the days. He said to him, I'm not sure, I'm sitting in my meditations with a real dilemma of what to do. He said, one voice inside of me said, says, ordain, become a Buddhist monk. And the other voice says, I can sing, be a singer. And this is what's going on in my meditations. So he said to the, the Lama, please help me, you know, what shall I do? And the Lama said, be a singer. Goodness me. We wouldn't know Dave Bowie and those immense songs. The life moment can sometimes change for us on the single moment of a single conversation. <laughs> Sets the life off in an extraordinary direction. Just about three years ago, You know, as you know, I, I also like this. I'm using this because sometimes in reflection in your own life, as an example and a model, I find in my life, sometimes there are moments amidst the rhythm of life in which the small event becomes a catalyst for something quite extraordinary. Just a small event quite often unexpected, out of the blue, blue is the colour of infinity by the way, blue sky, blue ocean, out of the blue something comes and it changes a life, shifts a life. Back to Dave Bowie for a moment. So Dave Bowie, as you know, loved dressing up. I, I also, when I was a monk, you know, I wore my skirt, etc. It's nice wearing a skirt for a few years. So, Dave Bowie would dress up and someone came up to him and said, 
What do you think you're doing? Dressing up and putting on a woman's dress. And Dave Bowie responded. It's a beautiful answer. It's not a woman's dress. It's a man's dress. And I think sometimes, in the touch of events, we look around in a different way. Not get defensive, not contract, but to see if we can find the original spot. Three years ago, when Dave Burry died, he requested that his ashes and the funeral be a Buddhist funeral. And he requested that his ashes uh, were placed in uh, Bali. Something rather deep had stayed with Dave Bowie. And in the YouTube clip which I received, he's really in the zone, in my view anyway, watching this. And he's singing this masterpiece of a song, which essentially says, you can be a hero just for one day. Check it out. So in these teachings, <laughs> you can be a hero for every day. Why not? Adventure with life, ex the exploration uh, uh, of it. And sometimes our precious rock stars have in their lyrics insightful, profound reminders for all of us, as well as in other areas of music as well. With the day timetable now, and then we'll finish for the day. The day begins at 5.30. Do we have beloved yoga teacher? Two. Two? Right, stop. All right, thank you, precious, lovely. So the, the day begins at 5.30 and the uh, bell ringer, ringers, it's a circumnambulation. So what that uh, means is, when it's your turn to ring the bell, and we're grateful for that, do not just ring it around the hall. There are some very deep sleepers here or they might be in very deep samadhi, maybe. So the request is to make the pilgrimage along the line of the cells all the way around in one circle with the regularity of ringing the bell. There, so then people hopefully will know. 5.30 the first bell. 5.45 will be the yoga class at the back of the hall. I do encourage you to, you can, to participate uh, in it. It's a wonderful practice, uh, lovely Patanjali Sutta from 2000 uh, years ago, and with the uh, asanas, a real contribution to reducing some of the stress, pain and tension in, in the body. If during the day you wish to engage in some extra uh, yoga, do so. Good. 
ground here. It's lovely. You just feel you need to stretch the body out during the day. There, some people have come on retreats. Come many, plenty have fallen in love with yoga, found it really beneficial, and emerged out of that and become really um, important uh, yoga teachers for others in due in due course. So lots of things can touch us here with the external. Then that finishes and it needs to be sharp on 6.35. So dear yoga teachers, make sure you have access please to watch your clock. So it finishes at 6.35. So this gives the participants opportunity to go to the loo, go to their room, whatever. And the bell ringer will ring the bell at 6.40. So that's five minutes before the first sit of the day through to 7.30. Breakfast is at uh, 7.30 and work period and I'll speak to you about that during uh, tomorrow morning with the instructions and so forth. There are a few basics which are important uh, here and one of them certainly is the ethics. The essential ethics is really one of non-harming and non-exploitation, non-abuse. And our care for that, people, situations, creatures, environment, to walk rather gently on the earth. Our walking meditations, which takes place every day, three or four times uh, every day, are a reminder to us of the preciousness just walking on the earth with the calmness of the being, the step-by-step activity. Simple, bare and basic. It's a precious resource. And sometimes people in the daily life, as well as on retreats, may be going through quite a hard time. It's not possible under duress and for some people to be able to sit through it. We should not have the expectation we should be able to sit through everything. Sometimes the body itself needs to move. The walking meditation people have reported many times over these years, east and west, Sometimes it's just the quiet, steady walking up and down, even though it feels rather dark inside, and it feels rather mechanical, and one feels like a zombie, and one's mind is complaining, and, but the energy is moving quietly, the body is moving quietly, one is just quietly walking up and down, and sometimes, in the quiet persistence of it, one walks right through the dark, and right out, and you know you've come right out of something. The walking meditation has power to it. Don't underestimate it. Don't think the real practice is sitting. Life is walking. Life is sitting. Life is reclining. Life is standing. Life is eating. So we don't have here a hierarchy of postures. We don't say one posture is more important than the other. Because our life is in postures, or moving between them. 
So the collective of us is here, but the outside is individual walking meditations, but the collective is also outside. This, all of us giving support to each other. Another aspect is how the jewels, the diamonds, the rubies, the pearls, the, and one is the journey, shall we say, or the path, or the, in the immediacy of uh, the waking up. Pali word for this is Buddha. The waking up of the human being is one. Second, the support, teachings and practices that give support. Many ways we are offering a small, modest range of a wide range which is available for our species. And thirdly, there is the Sangha, the men and women coming together. If we had a quiet, sustained commitment to this, this alone, it would really affect the life dramatically. Nothing religious about it. I know some of us, somebody asked me on the retreat, a person said to me, oh, been to quite a lot of retreats over the years and most of them, Christopher, that I've been to have chanting on their retreat. Why don't you have chanting? Well, firstly, if you listen to me chanting, you realise why we don't have chanting, <laughs> etc. So we don't have chanting here as an act of compassion. <laughs> there. The, 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 the second, and how one can have a view and then it gets completely refuted. The tradition loves this word refuting, undermining, changing the view. So for years, my comment with chanting, one was I was always very happy as a monk, that my two teachers, Ajahn Damodaro, he had no interest in chanting. Practice, practice. Vipassana, vipassana. Practice, practice. Never mind chanting. So we would have it once a week, instead of twice a day, as is norm there. We weren't allowed to use any little booklet to read the chant. So it relied on certain monks remembering the chant. But those monks, only doing it once a week, they would forget but there's always a nice sense of humour in the tradition. Don't quite find this in Christianity with poor suffering Jesus. And the monks in the front row, that means the senior monks, would lose their way with the chant. And then they would start giggling. <laughs> and that set off a chain reaction. The hall is about nearly this size, full of monks and, then, and nuns and lay people. And the giggling would start. And we'd all lose the plot. And the hall is just giggling away. And the monks, no equanimity. You could see them, their bodies were shaking and giggling, their hands over their mouth and their robes over the top of their head so they wouldn't be recognised, uh, uh, etc. You know, I have to say, it was a lot of fun being a monk. Monasteries are interesting places for the extraordinary eccentric people that turn up and want to ordain. I just spoke with a young Indian lady today. She came 
21 years of age. As a flower of loveliness as one could imagine. And she lives in a village nearby. She came here. And somehow she found her way into here. And she has one question. I want to be a Buddhist nun. She doesn't quite know where it came from. She said, I just want to be a Buddhist nun. She said, I don't want to get married. I want to be a Buddhist nun. What, what can I do? So I talked. I gave my card and so, and, and so on. And so sometimes it just happens like that. What do we want to be? What's our priority? What really matters for us? What can we make happen in this journey of life? So sometimes the, the quiet voice of the other In the tradition, that voice, the voice of the gods, the voice of the angels, and they come with a question, as she did. And it touches a response. She doesn't know where that question came from. She's not a Buddhist. She doesn't have any background or history. This is a small village girl who is looking after her mother who has cancer of the uterus. The family have no money and the future is really uncertain. <coughs> and she said, I look and I've seen some monks and nuns and they seem to be very peaceful people. And after 20 minutes of talking with her through uh, the translator, I said to her, but you're very peaceful as well, your voice. And she said, mm, my family say that to me as well. But I still want to be a nun. Sometimes something deep in the being comes through and it's a, a privilege to meet people who are, something's touched them deeply and it can give us the inspiration and the vitality and the encouragement to look into the being, see what's from the deep and what can inform us. That's why we're here. It's a liberating teaching and the deep brings the liberation. With the afternoon period, there's the afternoon um, talk. This uh, generally lasts for about um, uh, 45 uh, minutes, sometimes 10 or 15 minutes longer. I do apologise, only half-heartedly though. And then there's the evening time at 5.30, and then with the food, any inquiry uh, or guided meditations uh, in the evening. So the day is quite full from 
5.30 till around 9.30 with the hot drink there and with the rhythm uh, of, of each day just finally uh, uh, with you two points one is how beautiful and precious noble silence is it's quite different from the quiet sometimes we're not talking and it's quiet it's light but and it's quiet the touch of the noble silence sometimes is known and experienced if you wake up in the middle of the night one, two, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning you wake up energy is there real presence is there you can, you can feel the silence it's tangible it's so still awesomely still the mind isn't chattering silence of the universe this is noble silence our quietness our respect for each other our not interrupting each other contributes to that receptivity to a noble silence which is very very deep in this universe very very deep and the ripples and the frequencies and the ohms that run through this universe rest in this noble silence. And we are deeply interested in this. So the enough. Ten minutes past uh, uh, eight, uh, eight o'clock. Let's just have a five-minute um, break to uh, stretch the legs. I'll give uh, the gong here a short ring, and then we'll have a fifteen-minute one-five, fifteen-minute meditation together, finishing around uh, eight thirty. Is there the precious? Hot drink tonight? I would say yes. You would say yes. Spirit. Good spirit. All right. Lemon and ginger. Eh? Lemon and ginger. All right. Hot lemon ginger. Five star. So there will be hot lemon ginger a little bit uh, uh, late, 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 later on now. Queen Bee is looking after us. <laughs> Thank you, daughter. Night. So let's have a five-minute break to uh, stretch the legs. I give the gong a ring, and then we'll have our 15-minute meditation together with some instructions at the beginning. <laughs>